Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the privilege of being here tonight. We're about to open your holy word, and we need the help of your Holy Spirit. We realize, Lord, that the Holy Spirit gave the Bible, and only the Holy Spirit can come to explain it to us. Give us open minds, give us tender hearts, and help us, Lord, to hear your voice. We thank you for hearing our prayer, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'd like to invite you uh, to turn to lesson number one, and we're going to go through the process of how we're going to uh, study these lessons. And I'm going to take this microphone out of here because I feel like a lion in a cage. i got to move. Those of you who know me know that I have to move. Okay, lesson number one is titled, How to Study Bible Prophecy. And basically, I'm going to go through the sections of the lesson. Some of the uh, texts I'm going to ask you to look up and help us read. And some of the texts I'm just going to uh, tell you what you need to put in the blank. And then I hope that tomorrow, in, at your leisure, or tonight when you get home, you'll check it out to make sure that the answer I provided you with is the correct answer. Uh, one of the reasons why we're doing it this way and giving you the lessons is because I do not want you to believe what I say. I want you to believe what you study for yourself. There's no hidden agenda in this seminar. Uh, we're not trying to convert you to anything. All we're interested in is studying these prophecies so that we can better prepare uh, for the coming of our Lord Jesus. And so... Uh, you know, we want you to take these lessons home and prepare them, study them. And that way, when you come to class, you'll have a clearer picture of what you're going to be studying. Okay, the first section of our lesson deals with the person of prophecy. Does somebody want to turn to John chapter 5 and verses 45 and 46 and read those verses for me? And then um, somebody read Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1. Please raise your hand if you're a good volunteer and you need to read with a strong voice like those three angels of Revelation 14. Okay, Bible prophecy is not about voracious beasts, mysterious numbers, and cryptic symbols. Prophecy is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Rosalina, would you please read John 5, verses 45 and 46. Here Jesus is speaking these words to the Jewish leaders of his day. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. About whom did Moses write? Jesus. He wrote about Jesus. Now, wait a minute. Moses lived 1,500 years before Christ was born. So did Moses give a lot of prophecies about Jesus? Yes, he did. In fact, Moses, everything he wrote was about Jesus. All his prophecies have to do with Jesus. Now, let me mention Luke chapter 24, just to give you a little bit of background. It's interesting. Tomorrow is Resurrection Sunday, isn't it? And what I'm going to mention to you now is happening on Resurrection Sunday, the day after Christ rested in the tomb. There were two disciples that were walking to a little town near Jerusalem. The name of that town was Emmaus. 
And they were all dejected. These, these were Jews. They studied the scriptures. They knew prophecy. They thought they knew prophecy. And they were all dejected because they, they said to one another, you know, we thought this man was going to be the one who would redeem Israel. And now it's the third day since he was killed. And as they were walking along, Jesus caught up to them. And he started walking and talking with them. And as Jesus talked to them, they discovered the reason why they had studied all of these prophecies and had not understood them. I want you to notice Luke chapter 24 and verses 25 to 27. Who, who would like to read uh, Luke chapter 4 verses 25 to 27? And notice what Jesus says to these two disciples. By the way, they were students of prophecy. They were Jews. They thought they knew when Messiah was going to come and what he was going to look like and what he was going to do. But they were caught off guard. Who would like to read Luke? Yes, please, brother. 25 to 27. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Okay? Now, what did Jesus say to these individuals? He called them foolish. Because they did not believe what whom had written? It says beginning at whom? Moses. And from some of the prophets... Oh, thank you very much. You'll find that I'll, I'll say things wrongly once in a while because I want you to correct me. And from all of the prophets, he declared to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. Let me ask you, who is at the center of the writings of Moses? Who is at the center of the writings of all the prophets? Jesus. Who is at the center of the book of Psalms? Jesus. Notice verse 44 and 45. Who would like to read verses 44 and 45? Yes, please. Real loud. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Did you catch that? All the things that were written in Moses... And in the prophets, and where else? In the Psalms, concerning who? Concerning me, Jesus says. So who is at the center of the book of Psalms? Jesus. In fact, we're going to find in this seminar that there's not one single story, not one single page of the Old Testament that is not a prophecy about Jesus. Jesus is the center. The center is not some battle in the Middle East. The center is not the oil of the Middle East. The center it has nothing to do with any of these side issues. The center and core of Bible prophecy is Jesus. Now, the third question in this section, Revelation 1 verse 1, uh, we find that the book of Revelation is the revelation of whom? The revelation of Jesus Christ. See, Revelation isn't about seals and beasts and mysterious numbers and horns and heads and all of these things. The center of Revelation is whom? Jesus. 
Jesus because it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. So in this seminar, we must find Jesus in all of his glory in the prophecies. And that's what we're going to do. Let's go to the second section of our lesson. The reasons for prophecy. And obviously we're not going to be able to read all of these verses, but uh, I'm going to basically tell you what the verses say, and you can fill in uh, the blanks. John 14, verse 29, Jesus told the disciples that he would tell them beforehand what was going to happen so that when it happened, they might what? Believe. They might believe. So what is one of the purposes of prophecy? One of the purposes is that when the prophecy is fulfilled, people will what? Believe. People will believe that it was a prophecy from God. That's one of the reasons we're going to study the prophecies here, is because we want to see how prophecy has been fulfilled, and you'll say, wow, look at God said these things to his prophets hundreds and thousands of years ago, and look, it's happened exactly the way God said. So the purpose of prophecy, one of the purposes, is so that when things occur, we might believe. 2 Peter 1.19, the second uh, uh, verse in this section, prophecy was given so that the morning star might arise in our hearts. Who is the morning star? Jesus. You want to write down this verse. It's not in your lesson. Write it down. Revelation 22, verse 16. Jesus says that he is the bright and morning star. So if prophecy has the purpose of the morning star <clears throat> arising in our hearts, it must mean that the purpose of prophecy is for Jesus to be where? For Jesus to shine in our hearts. Isn't that beautiful? So that Jesus will shine in our hearts. Romans 15 verse 4 tells us that prophecy was given so that we might have hope. In fact, do you know what the second coming is called in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13? It's called the blessed hope. And by the way, biblical hope is not wishful thinking. Like saying, is Jesus coming soon? Well, I hope so. That's not biblical hope. Biblical hope means that it's firmly rooted in what God says. Yes, Eileen? Romans 15 and verse 4. Uh, Revelation 22, verse 16. Uh, Titus 2, verse 13. Yes, okay, you're welcome. Okay, so um, when we study prophecy, what do we get? We get hope. Jesus shines where? In our hearts. And when the prophecy is fulfilled, we what? Believe. We believe. See all the reasons for prophecy? But the primary purpose, folks, for Bible prophecy is in John 5.39, where Jesus says, you search the scriptures. He's telling the Jewish leaders, you search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. What is the main purpose for studying Bible prophecy? For studying the scriptures? It's to receive what? Eternal life. In other words, the purpose of our study of Bible prophecy here tonight is not academic. 
It's not so that we can learn a lot about Bible prophecy. It's not to satisfy our futuristic curiosity. The purpose of studying Bible prophecy is so that Jesus can shine in our hearts, so that we can have hope, so that we might believe, and ultimately so that we can receive everlasting life. So the study of Bible prophecy obviously is of critical importance. Now let's talk about the methods of prophecy. The methods of prophecy. There are five points under this section that I want to deal with. Point number one, when you're going to study prophecy, you have to have certain uh, methods that you use. You know, uh, even in science, you have what is called the scientific method, right? There are certain rules that you have to follow when you do research. There are certain scientific laws that you have to take into account. Well, Bible prophecy is the same. One of the problems that we have in the Christian world today is that in teachers stand up and they say, oh, what do you think that uh, the image to the beast means? Oh, that means that a big statue is going to be made over there in the Middle East. And everybody's going to bow down and worship that great big statue. Well, it sounds interesting. But is that what the Bible is really saying? Another person will say, you know, uh, there's this red beast, this scarlet colored beast in Revelation chapter 17. Well, that must be communism because the color of communism is red. That sounds plausible, sounds interesting. But don't you think it would be better to let the Bible tell you what red means? Instead of letting the communists tell you? Some people say, wow, the big battle is going to be over in the Middle East over oil. The question is, is that what the Bible is really saying? When we don't apply rules that the Bible itself provides for interpreting Bible prophecy, we might come to wrong conclusions in the study of prophecy. And so we need to take into account these rules. Now let's go to rule number one. Determine the type of prophecy. In the Bible, there are two basic kinds of prophecy. One kind is called classical prophecy. And I'm just going to read the note. And then I'm going to exemplify it. The first type is classical prophecy. And it's like Isaiah and Jeremiah, or Nahum, or Habakkuk, or any of the minor prophets. And the second type is apocalyptic prophecy, such as Daniel and Revelation. Classical prophecy generally, and there are exceptions, functions on the basis of historical shadow which points forward to a greater fulfillment. Now let me give you one example. It's not there. We'll be talking in a moment about Balaam and Jezebel. Let me give you a biblical example. Daniel chapter 3. If you're not well versed in the stories of the Bible, you need to write down Daniel chapter 3. and Look it up and read it at your leisure. In Daniel chapter 3, the Bible tells us that Nebuchadnezzar raised a gigantic image made of gold. He gave a decree that everyone should worship the image. And by the way, Nebuchadnezzar for a while functioned as a beast, didn't he? For those of you who know the book of Daniel, um, he, he ate grass for seven years, you remember? God said, I'm going to give you a heart of a beast and you're going to live like a beast. So here you have Nebuchadnezzar, the beast, raising an image, commanding everyone to worship the image. And whoever did not worship the image would be what? Would be killed. Can you think of any place in the Bible where that story is picked up in the future? 
those of you who have studied Bible prophecy in Revelation 13, it speaks about the beast and his image. And it commands everyone to worship the image to the beast. And whoever does not worship the image to the beast will be what? Killed. But is that story only a small-scale illustration of a future greater fulfillment? Yes. So classical prophecy functions on the basis of a historical occurrence that took place in history, and that is picked up by later prophets, Daniel, Revelation, and those later prophets show that that prophecy is going to be fulfilled on a larger worldwide scale in the end time. Are you understanding what we mean by classical prophecy? Now, the second kind of prophecy is called apocalyptic prophecy. These prophecies were never fulfilled back in the days when they were given. They are strictly pure prophecy. There's not a historical occurrence that takes place on a wider scale in the future. These apocalyptic prophecies are, for example, Daniel chapter 2. We're going to study that in lesson number 4. The great image of Nebuchadnezzar had a head of gold, breast and arms of silver, belly of bronze, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. That prophecy that was not fulfilled in the days of Nebuchadnezzar began to be fulfilled back then, but really is a prophecy that's, that's a pure prophecy that deals with events which will lead up even to the end time, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So in other words, we need to determine what kind of prophecy we're dealing with here. And Daniel 3 is only one example of this. Now let's go to point number two. Is point number one clear? Yes, raise your hand if point number one is clear in your mind, the difference between classical prophecy and apocalyptic prophecy. Let me ask you, is it important then to uh, study history? Yes. Let me give you one other example, just to make sure you have this point down clear. And tonight you have to give me an extra five minutes because we started late. <laughs> now, Take the, the story of Elijah in the Old Testament. Did that story take place? Historically, did it happen back then in the Old Testament? Was there a real woman, woman called Jezebel? Were there real prophets of Baal? Was there a real King Ahab? Yes. But do you know that Malachi chapter 4, and by the way, this is happening 300 years after Jezebel and Ahab and the prophets of Baal had died, God says, I'm going to send you Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And lo and behold, in the New Testament, before Jesus comes, who prepares the way for the coming of Jesus? A man called John the Baptist. Do you know what Jesus called John the Baptist? Elijah. So does the historic Elijah have a future fulfillment? Yes. But you notice that John the Baptist is not the full fulfillment of Elijah because the prophecy in the Old Testament says that he's, he will send Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord, which is before the second coming of Christ. We're to expect Elijah again. But the end time Elijah is not going to be one person. It is going to be a worldwide movement that proclaims the same message that Elijah preached. Because what took place in a small scale in the Old Testament is going to take place on a larger scale in the future. That's classical prophecy. 
Now let's go to point number two. Pray for understanding. Come to the study of prophecy with an open mind and a sincere heart. Try to set aside preconceived notions. And that's so hard, isn't it? To set aside our preconceived notions that we received uh, maybe throughout years and years of teaching and training. Try to set aside your preconceived notions and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. Be willing to exercise childlike faith. Notice, not childish. Childlike faith as you study the prophecies. You know, uh, childlike faith is beautiful. You know, when you, when you tell, for example, children the story of, uh, the story of Noah and the flood, you know, the child isn't going to say, now, do you really believe that it's scientifically possible that it would have rained when it never rained? <laughs> have you ever heard a child say that? I haven't. Or when the three young men were cast into the fiery furnace. Have you ever heard children say, now, how could they survive that fire when scientifically you know it's absurd? If you're thrown into the fire, you're going to get burned up. Ever heard a child ask that question? No. When you tell the children these stories, they simply say, wow, what a wonderful God. But as we get older and sophisticated, we think we're smarter than God. <laughs> You'll find one thing in this seminar, I believe that the Bible is literally true. And I believe the stories actually took place. All of them. Jonah and the whale, although the Bible says it was a big fish. Fire that came down from heaven in the days of Elijah. The flood, creation, I believe all of these are literal stories. <coughs> now, let's continue here. When we come with childlike faith to the prophecies, then the Holy Spirit, who inspired the prophecies in the first place, will explain them to us. Always be willing to obey that which the Holy Spirit reveals. Do you know the Bible says that if you're not willing to obey, God will not show you the truth. Because what use is it for God to show you the truth and you say, thank you, Lord, that's a beautiful thought, and then not do anything about it? See, the purpose of the Bible is to transform and change our lives. It's to lead us to obedience to, to God's will. Now, let's answer these questions very uh, quickly here under uh, point number two. No prophecy of Scripture is of any what? Private interpretation. And by the way, in the Greek language... It says, no prophecy is of any personal solving or loosing. See, in order to interpret prophecy, it's kind of like it's, it's bound, and by your study, you have to what? You have to loosen it. See? What does that mean, that no prophecy is of any personal or private interpretation? It means that somebody can't simply say, uh, who is the beast? Oh! Saddam Hussein. And there's a lot of that going around these days. Um, or, or, or they say, um, you know, what is the number 666? Oh, well, that's a number that Nero had. You have to allow the Bible to explain itself. Private interpretations are those interpretations that people give. They say this means this, and they're not able to give you any biblical rationale where the Bible explains itself. The Bible has to tell us why these things mean uh, so-and-so. Now, 
Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen tell us tells us that all Scripture was given by what? By inspiration of God. So in other words, who gave Scripture? God did. So who is the only one that can come and explain it to us? God. And that's the reason why we do what when we start the class? We pray. Do you realize that when we pray, we're confessing to God that we're ignorant and we need his wisdom? If we felt we knew it all, we wouldn't need to pray. But the fact that we pray means that we need God's wisdom. We need God's understanding. And then Jesus says in John 7, 17, if we are willing to do his will, we will know whether the doctrine is of God or not. So if you want to know if something is true, you have to be willing to do his what? You have to be willing to do his will. Point number three. Use the historical approach. Now what do we mean by this? Let's read the note. The fulfillment of apocalyptic prophecies begins in the days when the prophet wrote and concludes when Christ finally sets up his everlasting kingdom. In other words, we're talking about apocalyptic prophecy. Apocalyptic prophecies are like a chain with links. The fulfillment of those prophecies begin when? They begin fulfilling, fulfilling in the days when the prophet wrote. And then from that point on, the prophecy continuously fulfills, fulfills, fulfills in a straight line, and it ultimately culminates with the setting up of Christ's everlasting kingdom. Now let me give you an example in the Bible of this type of prophecy. You have the image of Daniel chapter 2. We're going to study this in more detail. Um, you have the head of gold. What does the head of gold represent? Babylon. Babylon. What kingdom did Daniel live in? Babylon. Babylon. So where does Daniel 2 begin to fulfill? Where does it start? In the days of Daniel, the prophet. And then you have a breast and arms of silver. What kingdom is that? Medo-Persia, which came after Babylon. Then immediately after that, you have a leopard. Well, not a leopard, but you have the bronze. What does that represent? Greece. And then after that, you have the legs of iron. What does that represent? Rome. And then in the feet, Rome is what? Divided. And then a big stone hits the image in the feet and establishes God's everlasting kingdom. When did the prophecy begin? When did the fulfillment of this prophecy begin? In the days of Daniel. When did it end? With the setting up of Christ's kingdom. Do you know what the beauty of this type of interpretation is? You know exactly where you are at each moment in the flow of history. Do you know where we're at now? We're at the very toes of the image. Because Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, the Roman Empire, and the ten divisions of Rome have taken place. We are now in the toes of the image. And we're going to study this in lesson number four. But what I want you to see now is that in order to understand these great prophecies of Daniel and Revelation, we have to realize that they begin fulfilling when? When the prophet writes. And then they continuously fulfill in sequence culminating with the establishing of Christ's everlasting kingdom. Are you clear on that point? Let me give you one other example. It's here in the lesson. Where does the book of Revelation begin? Who, in Daniel, uh, in Revelation chapter 1, where is uh, John? 
on the island of Patmos. So where does the book of Revelation start? It starts in John's day. Were the seven churches really seven churches in the days of John? Yes, they were. Were they literal historical churches? Yes. So the messages originally went to seven literal churches. So the book of Revelation begins in the times of who? Of John. Where does the book of Revelation end? It ends even after the thousand years when the new Jerusalem comes down and Jesus sets up his what? His everlasting kingdom. So in other words, what I'm saying is that these great prophecies of Daniel and Revelation need to be studied from the perspective of the fact that they begin to fulfill in the days when the prophet is writing and they finally are fulfilled after a long sequence of events with the setting up of Christ's everlasting kingdom. This is called the historical approach to Bible prophecy. And then, of course, um, you'll notice that uh, the second question in this section, at what point in history do the seven churches begin? Well, you already know that they begin with uh, the time of John. But if you look at the last verse of the seven churches, Revelation 3.21, when the churches come to an end, Jesus says that he who overcomes... I will grant to sit on my throne even as I overcame and sat on my father's throne. So how do the seven churches end? They end by God's people sitting where? On God's throne. Where did they begin? In the times of John. And the beauty of it is that we can know exactly where we are in the course of history as we see how things flow, how things move from the time of the prophet till the very end of time. Now let's go to point number four. Is that clear, number three? Is that clear? Raise your hand if you understand that point. The historical approach to Bible prophecy. Come on, don't be lazy. All right, good. You're writing. Okay, point number four. Learn to decipher symbols. Learn to decipher symbols. What do you mean by symbols? One of the problems that we have in the study of Bible prophecy is that Bible prophecy uses what I call dead symbols. And you probably don't like that name, dead symbols. So let me explain what it means. Most of the symbols of Revelation we no longer understand because we don't use them anymore. Are you with me? For example, if you told, if you spoke to someone in biblical times and you mentioned in prophecy beast what would they think immediately if you spoke of a beast like the lion beast of Daniel 7 the bear beast what would they think that the beast represented yeah they would know that the beast wasn't a literal animal they would immediately think whenever I find beast it means what kingdom. Are you following me? Now what about when prophecy says woman? See, you already know this. Is the church a woman? Is the church literally a woman? No. 
but the, the church is symbolized by a woman. Are you following me? Now, what if it's a pure woman? What would that represent? A pure church. What if it's a harlot woman? It would represent an apostate church. Are you with me? Take another example. Revelation 17 speaks about this harlot, which would represent what? An apostate church. And it says that a harlot is seated on many waters. Well, I guess you have to look geographically to find some river someplace where there's this woman sitting on it. No. What do the waters represent? Symbolically. They represent multitudes, nations, tongues, and peoples. Revelation 17 says that. So whenever in prophecy you find waters, immediately the Hebrew mind back then they wouldn't even have to look in the Bible and other verses to know what it means because immediately those symbols were live because they were still used at that time. Are you with me? They're dead symbols today because we don't use them anymore and so we have to go to the Bible and we have to rescue their meaning. For example, if when, when prophecy speaks about a star, immediately what would the people back then think? Stars are angels. Stars represent angels. What would they think of if you talk, talked, for example, about weeks, 70 weeks? Well, it doesn't take much intelligence to figure out that 70 weeks is the period of time that would transpire between the giving of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem which happened in 457 B.C., by the way. And the coming or the anointing of the Messiah, the baptism of the Messiah, it says that there would be actually 69 weeks from the time of the giving of the decree until the coming of the Messiah. Now, it says seven, 70 weeks will be determined, 69 of which will lead from uh, the time that Jerusalem was rebuilt, re the, the decree was given to rebuild Jerusalem, and when... Uh, the Messiah would come when Jesus actually was baptized. You would have 483 uh, days or 69 weeks. Now let me ask you, uh, are those literal weeks? No. Can they be literal weeks? No. How, how many, uh, how many uh, years are 400 and uh, are actually 69 weeks? How many literal years are 69 weeks. Huh? Well, a year has how many weeks? 52. And we're talking about 69. So it would be what? A year and change. Thank you. A year and change. Is that taking the 70 weeks literally, is that long enough to take us from 457 before the birth of Christ to the baptism of Christ? No. So the weeks, the days of the weeks must represent what? They must represent years. And in biblical times, whenever in prophecy you said day, immediately the minds of people would say what? Years. Because you're dealing with symbols. By the way, do we use symbols today? We say, for example, dead is a doornail. People aren't doornails. <laughs> we say easy as pie. 
That's symbolic language. I've never found out what is as easy as pie, by the way. I don't know what's easy about pie. <laughs> never been able to figure it out. But it's a symbol. Sign language is a symbol. For example, if in biblical times you did like this, is, is Beth here? I saw Beth earlier. In biblical times, if you did this, what would they get out of it? In biblical times. What's this guy doing? But when we use this symbol today, what does it mean? No. It means love. In sign language. See? Now, this is not love. It symbolizes love. Are you with me? And that's the way Bible symbols are. You have to decode them. You have to decipher them. Now, let me mention to you how you can decipher symbols. You'll find in your material a sheet that looks different than the rest. On one side, you'll find some strange Hebrew words. <laughs> and on the other side, you will find Revelation chapter 15. Do you have that there? What I'm going to share with you now is an incredible key for you to be able to understand Bible symbols. If you can understand the symbols, you can understand prophecy, folks. If you can decode the symbols and decipher the symbols, you've got the key that opens the prophecies. If you don't know how to decipher symbols, you're sunk because you can't take things literally. Obviously, the woman who's standing on the moon is clothed with the sun, has a crown of 12 stars, and the dragon that wants to gobble up her child, you can't take that literally. Because there's no such thing in real life. A harlot who's seated on many waters and she has this great big cup of wine that she's given to all of the nations of the world. You can't take that literally. You're dealing with symbols. And so you have to know how, what, the, what the harlot means, what the waters mean, what the wine means, what the cup means. You have to decipher the symbols and then put them all together. And suddenly things will make a lot of sense. Now, what you need to have and let's go to the side where it says Revelation chapter 15. Some Bibles, and you need to get yourself a Bible, the seminar Bible does not have this, have what you call marginal references. You see the middle of the page? The column in the middle? As you read, let's take an example. Revelation 15 and verse 3. You'll find next to where it says the song a little letter. It's the letter A. What does that letter A tell you? It says go to the middle column and where does it tell you to read? Exodus, Exodus chapter 15 and 1 to 21. Because it says here they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of whom? of the Lamb. So if it says the Song of Moses, do you suppose it might be a good idea to go to the Old Testament and read the Song of Moses? Must it have some relationship here? Of course. So the marginal references will tell you where to find the symbol in its original context. Are you following me? Now, there's a second method that, w that can help you determine the meanings of symbols. And that is with a Bible concordance with a concordance. Do you know what a concordance is? 
I pre personally prefer Strong's Concordance. You know, there's three main ones. Cruden's is for the crude. <laughs> and Young's is for the young. And Strong's is for the strong. <laughs> so, so I like Strong's Concordance because I, I like the way that, you, that it gives you to find words and, and the definitions that it gives you in the back. But anyway, you find on the other page the word song. And all of the references in the Bible where the word song is used. Do you think it might help you to understand song if you looked up all of the references in the Bible? Oh, tremendous. And then you'll notice that next, this is Strong's Concordance. When you look at the word song, Exodus chapter 15 and verse 1, you'll notice that it has the number 7892 on the right-hand side. You see that? What does that, what does that tell you? See, you'll find that when you're looking at the word song, it'll give you that number. And that number is telling you that you're supposed to go to the back of the concordance and you're supposed to look up that number and that number will give you the definition of the word in Hebrew. Are you understanding? And when you look up the number 7892, you find that the word song is sheer which basically means singing, musical. It gives you several different definitions depending on the word that you're looking up. And by the way, you can look up all of the references in the Old Testament that use this specific word song. Because there are different words in the Old Testament that are translated song. But you want to look up especially the words that, that, where the word song is used that you're referring to at the moment, that you're studying. Are you following me? So what you want to do is you want to get yourself a good concordance, a good Bible with marginal references, and look up those marginal references because they're going to help you a lot to be able to understand symbols. Now, um, we don't have any time left, so let me just go through one or two things uh, in closing. Do you understand this issue about symbols? We're going to be applying these principles time and again in this seminar. Uh, we need to know how, how to apply these principles. Uh, you'll notice on page 3, we dealt with several of these. I hope you'll look them up. In, in prophecy, when you have the word beast, it means a kingdom. When you have waters, it means multitudes of people. When you have a woman, it means the church. Trees represent God's people. They're like trees planted next to flowing waters, according to Psalm 1. Weeps. Days represent what? Years. Years. The serpent? Satan. Is Satan really a serpent? Is he a snake? No. no. He's represented by a snake because the snake is similar to Satan in many ways, vice versa. Stars would represent what? Angels. Angels. Now, letter B, symbols don't always have the same meaning. In other words, they're liquid. Sometimes a star can represent Christ, sometimes it, re it represents Satan, and sometimes it can represent angels. You need to know that symbols are flexible, and you have to analyze them within their context. Now, let's go to page four. Once you have decoded the meaning of each symbol in the passage, then put them all together. Remember, each symbol is merely one piece in a gigantic jigsaw puzzle. The purpose of study is not merely to decipher individual symbols, but to see how they all fit together in a harmonious whole. Once you have put all the pieces together, you will be able to understand God's message as he wants to teach through that passage.
The final point that I want to cover is point number five. Study the organizational, pa organizational pattern of the passage or book. This is where many people fail in their study of prophecy. They don't see how the book or how the passage is structured. And what I want to do is I want to give you homework for tomorrow. Read this section. Go through it. Research it. And we'll come back to this uh, tomorrow night. That'll be the first thing that we'll deal with tomorrow night. How to study the organizational pattern of prophecy. And I think you'll be able to understand this, that prophecy moves in cycles. You know, you can't say, I wanna, I'm wondering what's going to happen in the end time. So I'm going to start in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, and I'm just going to read everything, and it's going to show me the whole sequence of end time events from beginning to end. It doesn't work that way because the book of Revelation functions in cycles. The churches are repeated in the seals. The seals are repeated in the trumpets. The last half of the book runs in cycles. It repeats the same material over and over again, just like Daniel. Daniel 2 is repeated in Daniel 7. Daniel 7 is repeated in Daniel 8 and 9. Daniel 8 and 9 is repeated in Daniel 11. In other words, you can't read the prophecies in linear fa fashion. You have to realize that they run in cycles. So I give you this as homework. Now let's go to our quiz. Very quickly. I'll make the first one easy. True or false? You have 50-50 shot. Question number one. Don't forget to put your name on the envelope. Please put your name on the envelope. First thing. True or false? The primary purpose of prophecy is to let us know what is coming in the future. True or false? The primary purpose of prophecy is to let us know what is coming in the future. Don't answer. Audibly. Number two, true or false? A star in the Bible always is a symbol of Christ. A star in the Bible is always a symbol of Christ. Number three, fill in the blank. What does a beast represent in prophecy? When you find beast, whether it be a lion, a bear, a leopard, a terrible nondescript beast, a beast that comes from the earth, when you find the word beast, immediately what does that mean? What does that symbol mean? Number four, mention one way in which we can discover the source of a symbol, where a symbol comes from. Like we're reading Revelation, we find the song of Moses and the Lamb. See, I'm giving it to you right now. How do we discover where that symbol, Song of Moses and the Lamb, comes from? We mentioned two, two ways you can determine it. Are you with me? And point number five, fill in the blank. Apocalyptic prophecies generally begin in the days when the blank wrote. Apocalyptic chain prophecies usually begin to be fulfilled in the days when the who wrote when the blank wrote. Got it? Okay. Let's, uh, want, us, want us to answer the questions? Number one, true or false? You sure it's false? What is the primary purpose of prophecy? It's not to know, let us know what's coming in the future, it's to reveal whom? Jesus. So it's false. <laughs> Question number two. 
A star in the Bible is always a symbol of Christ. False. What can a star also represent? Represent angels. It can represent Satan. It can represent even King Nebuchadnezzar. Point number three. What does a beast represent in prophecy? Kingdom. So whenever you find a beast, you know it's going to be what? A kingdom. Number four. One way in which we can discover the source of a symbol. Ah, with the marginal references and what else? The concordance, the Bible concordance. And point number five, apocalyptic prophecies generally begin in the days when the prophet wrote. Very good. My, you're all sharp. I, I almost feel I almost feel threatened <laughs> by by your wisdom. Well, uh, prepare your lessons. We hope to see you tomorrow at 7 o'clock. Let's bow our heads and have a concluding word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege of being here tonight. We realize that uh, the study of prophecy is so important at this stage in history because you've shown us exactly what's happening and what is going to happen. And you want us to understand this by studying prophecy so that when things occur, we might believe and so that Jesus can shine in our hearts. I ask, Lord, that you will bring us all back tomorrow to continue studying your word. I ask that you will bless us as we return to our homes tonight. Thank you for having been with us and thank you for answering our prayer because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.